Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So we celebrate the goodness of God. We're going to learn something about that today. When we bought our second home in Georgia... It was really quite fantastic because this home that we bought from friends had an above-ground pool. You know, one of those four-foot above-ground pools with the deck around it? It was awesome. Only one minor little problem, it leaked. It had holes. And with all my best efforts, we could never find where the holes are. So we had to keep filling it and filling it, keep leaking, keep filling it. It was getting exhausting, but a couple years in, I'm, okay, that's it. I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to go to the expense, and we put in a new liner, and we put it on top of the old liner so we were double covered. By the end of that summer, it was leaking, had more holes. I don't know where the holes came from. It's exhausting. So anybody who feels my pain, just help me out here. How many of you have ever tried to work something and it didn't work? Let me see it. Isn't it exhausting? I mean, it's just so frustrating. I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't fix it. I don't know where the holes are and I don't know what the source is. Now, let me make our turn. Go to the screen. It's frustrating when you don't know what's drilling holes in your life. Oh, it really is. It is precisely what Jesus is addressing in Matthew. He's being asked the question, what's the most important thing in life? Kind of like, what rule do I need to know or follow? What command needs to be at the top of the list for me so that I don't have so many holes in my life because it keeps leaking and I keep losing? And so here's the question in Matthew 22. Teacher, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? God gave us his laws, his rules for life and, and how you get a whole life. And he, and he granted that through like the Ten Commandments that he told to the nation of Israel and, and delivered through Moses. And then some 613 laws in the Old Testament that would help us understand this framework of life from moral law to ceremonial law. And then by the time Jesus comes on the scene, the Pharisees had added so many rules that they added like, I'd give or take some 3,000 rules. So you got these, these 10 commandments, 613 laws, 3,000 rules. I, who can follow all that? Of course you would say, if you're God, if you're teacher, tell me, what, what, get me to the top of the list. How do, I, how do I keep from having so many holes in my life when I want to have a whole life? Because it's frustrating. You have dreams for marriage, and then you get holes in your marriage. You have dreams for your family. You holes in the family, and you have brokenness, and things fall apart, and holes in your career, and holes in your finances, and holes in your character, and, and holes in this broken world, and holes in the search for what is true, and holes in the search for meaning in life, and holes in this search for what is good, and, and holes in what is beautiful. And God, I can't get to it. So could you take the 3,613 and somehow give me an idea of what should be at the top? Here's how Jesus answered. 
And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now all, which is fascinating, because he's saying, by the way, all of this, all of these rules and laws and lists, all of this is sifted down to this tight, clear, crisp understanding. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Like you can take the top 10 and you can bring them down to these two. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's referring to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And that brings us to where we are today. The Jesus Storybook Bible. That asks really in essence the question of the day. I'll put the question up there. Here's where we're going today. Why does God have rules? We might as well get right to the answer at the top and then we'll unpack it all day. Here's the answer to the question. To give you a whole, to give you a whole life, a holy life without holes. To give you a whole life, a holy life without holes. In fact, to make sure you're listening and you can absorb this wherever you are, at any of the in-person campuses or 12-stone home or the online community, I'll read the question I'll do it three times. I read the question, you read the answer. I read the question, you read the answer. Are you getting this? Look at your neighbor. See if you got somebody smart sitting around you. Okay, you got it? Everybody got it? Loud and proud here. Everybody ready? I'll read the question, you read the answer. If you stumble, just make noise. Just (laughs) nobody will figure it out. Ready? Question. Why does God have rules? Answer. To give you a whole life, a holy life without rules. Why does God have rules? To give you a whole life a holy life without holes. Now, a little fire, passion in this. Ready? Why does God have rules? You a whole life, a holy life without rules. That's what God's intending to do for us. And we are in week 11 of 14 weeks that we're covering in the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is really serving as a devotional for kids and families. And, and, and when we're done with the 14, you'll keep going. But this is, this is helping guide us. So, let's put the story up on the screen. Let's look at it together. God called Moses up the mountain. The great mountain shook. The great mountain, what everybody? Shook. A thick cloud fell. Thunder roared. Lightning crackled. And God gave Moses ten rules called commandments. And by the way, he spoke so that all heard him. I want you to love me more than anything else in all the world. And know that I love you. Know, see that? Know that I love you too, God told them. That's the most important thing of all. And God gave them other rules. Like, don't make yourselves pretend gods. Don't kill people. Don't steal or lie. The rules showed God's people how to live, how to be close to him, how to be happy, if you will insert our word whole. They showed how life worked best. God promises to always look after you, Moses said. Will you love him and keep his rules? We can do it. Yes, we promise. And so this beautiful exchange in the giving of the Ten Commandments, but in Exodus chapter 20, 
We might say, oh, okay, that's the Ten Commandments. I'm familiar, but stay with me. That doesn't mean you understand them. Hang on. Because I don't think you can understand the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 unless you understand the context in Exodus 19. That is super profound. So let me walk us into it. And I got to do it faster than, than we want to. But, but I want to give you a sense of context, if you will, of what's going on. See, in the story of Moses and the nation of Israel that we've been walking through, and Pastor Jason has been walking through Moses, and Moses experiences God. This, the bush is on fire. How's that? There's the fire. So the bush is on fire. You're welcome. I went to a lot of effort for this. And, and then God gives his name, I am, the Tetragrammaton, the great I am. And, and, and then Moses realizes that God is holy and he's got to take off his shoes. He's on holy ground. And, and then, then Jason has taught us through the, the 10 plagues and how God undid the, the Egypt and, and the oppression under which Israel was living. And, and now they're, God's bringing the whole nation to himself at Mount Sinai. And, and, and at this moment, God's going to speak to them. Now, it's interesting that God spoke to Moses, but this will be the first time in human history that God speaks to an entire nation of people. They gather at the base of the mountain, and God descends. And now the mountain, I know how mountain is spelt. That's just my way of making it fast. Mountain on fire. Here, I'll do a bigger fire for those of you who feel better now. And now the mountain's on fire. Fire. The mountain's on what? Fire. Not, not just a bush, but it's a mountain on fire. And they experience the great I am. And they hear the voice of God. And the mountain shakes. And there's this resetting of who God is in the soul of the nation of Israel. This is a holy God. They're on holy ground. They can't even approach the mountain. Now listen. Way back here is Exodus 19 leading into this experience. And as a part of and following this experience is Exodus 20. And these are the Ten Commandments. Hang on. And before they ever receive the Ten Commandments, they receive the rescuing, loving hand of God. That's what I want you to see. The Ten Commandments are not delivered in some cold, harsh, distant, disconnected way. Look at Exodus 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see what God's saying? I love you. Before they ever received the Ten Commandments, they received his love. When he gave them the Ten Commandments, he'd already rescued them from Egypt. Listen, he rescued them from Egypt. Now he was going to give them the Ten Commandments so they could be rescued from themselves. Ooh. Look at the next verse. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See what God was doing right here in Exodus 19. He was communicating his love. And I have rescued you in the past. And I have a vision for your wholeness as a holy nation. My possession. My people I love. And so now come before me. And prepare to receive the Ten Commandments. And the mountain shook. 
as the Holy God descended. I know we could spend an hour right now in worship, but it seemed before we read on, we should just take a moment to sit in the presence of God. Cam, would you give us a moment that lets us sit in the truth of this great I am? to be like the mountain shook God descends the voice of the living God speaks and it recalibrates how they see God before you ever got the Ten Commandments you received the rescuing love of God before you ever got received the Ten Commandments you received the love of God before you even got a sense of the size of the Ten Commandments you got a sense of the size of God now in awe of the living God. Reverence. Holy. Hey, maybe the reason many of us never get the Ten Commandments right is because we don't see God right. How do you see God? If we're going to do a little assessment, let's just, let's just turn into our own circumstances of life. And how, how, if you were going to get in, do an assessment, how do you see God? What is most true? When you think of God, you say, oh, for me. I'm not, I'm not saying we know what the answer is, but, but for you, how do you see God? For many of us, what's broke is how we see God, what we think is mostly true. So if you had to circle one on the left or one on the right, what, which one would be true? For you is God is far. Is that what's true of God's eyes or is God near? God takes. Is God mostly a taker or God gives? God limits. See, when God delivers things like commandments, it's so limiting. Or God frees. God is harsh. Or is God holy? 
God condemns or God forgives? Is it God resents? And that's how you experience his response to you, or is it that God rescues? That God is against me? Or do you see that God is for me? That God is cruel? Or is God is kind? That God is manageable? Treat him in a way that you're in control, or God is almighty? Listen, how you see God defines how you respond to God. If you, listen, if you see God wrongly, if you see God as far who takes limits, is harsh, condemns, resents, is against me, is cruel and is manageable, you will read the Ten Commandments wrongly. But if you see God rightly, God is near, he gives, he frees, he's holy, he forgives, he rescues. God is for me. God is, God is king. God is almighty. When, when, when you see this kind God and you read the Ten Commandments, you're like, oh, now I know how to receive him. Do you get it? Tell your neighbor, I get it. Just tell your neighbor, like, okay, I get it. I get it. Okay, I, I, I see where this goes. So now we have our question. Why does God have rules? Well, it depends how you see God, doesn't it? Entirely. To give you a whole life, a holy life without holes. So you have a heavenly father who's given you life. And this heavenly father gives rules for the best of life, a whole life. Some 34 years ago this spring, we had our first child, our first son, Josh. And in his young life, and as he grew up, I would take something like the Jesus Storybook Bible and pour into his life to teach him about his heavenly father. I'm his earthly father, but you have a heavenly father. Our father, who is in heaven. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Hallowed. Holy is your name. It all begins with the reverence. And we sought to pour that into Joshua's life. Now Josh is his own man. He's married and he just had his third child. So Marsh and I became grandparents again in about less last week. Here is her sweet little picture. Brooklyn is five pounds. I show you the next picture. So you can see what five pounds, 13 ounces look like. Check it out. Here's her in Papa's arm. That says, this sweet, perfect little thing. <laughs> and what's the call of God on Josh? To teach her our father. Who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And that you live in a broken world of holes. And the only way to become whole is to know the truth of God, the love of God. And before he tells her all about his commands, he's going to tell her all about his love. Hmm. So for us, if you want to understand the Ten Commandments, you need context. And we now have that. And once you get context, then you realize that the thou shalt nots really mean thou shalt not drill holes in your happy pool. 
don't do that. So all the Ten Commandments really are is don't drill holes into your happy pool. Thou shalt not have any idols. Jason, Pastor Jason, taught that last couple weeks. Don't have idols. Listen, it drills holes in your soul. So you got to get stuff right. Get your worship right. Get your mouth right. Which means don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. For his name is holy. We live in a culture that uses God's name as a curse word casually. Why do you think that's a favored name to use in cursing? Because that's the only holy name. And when you do, you're just drilling holes in it. It's not, oh my God. It's not fill in the blank. That's a holy name. Get your mouth right. Get your money right. You don't own it. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Jesus said it this way. You can't love God and money. Get, get your money right. Or otherwise, get materialism. You drill holes in your life. I mean, our family's why I teach your kids honor God with first fruits, first 10% God tied. Not, 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 as a, not as a law to limit, but to free. It's the beginning. Otherwise, you got holes in your finances. I know it's all God's, but it, get, get your calendar right. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. You take a day out of the week and you quit working and you rest. Your body and your mind and your soul and your relationships need it. You need it. That's how you manage a good bit of the anxiety and the uncertainty and the instability and the idea that it all falls on you and you worship. You don't just rest, you worship. And when you don't get your calendar right, you don't get your calendar right, you're just drilling holes in your life. If it's, if it's not on Saturday, it's Sunday. It's seen by the New Testament. It doesn't matter which day. It matters that you do it. Get your family right. Children, honor your mom and dad. Listen, when kids start raising their parents... When you have TV shows where kids talk back and kids are in charge, and by the time we become adults, we tell our kids we learn so much from you, they're supposed to be learning from us. I mean, there's a whole it's family right, figure out. Just marriage right, adultery, drill tolls. No adultery, don't do that. Get your friendships right. No lying. Drill tolls. No cheating. No stealing, no murder. Are you getting the point? Do I have to keep doing this or we get it? I think we got it. Because obviously what happens then is that when you try and fill your life, it doesn't actually fill, it just leaks. And the mess that it makes is because of the holes. And the truth of the matter is most of the mess is made by myself, by me. Most of them, the drill is in my hand. Yes, other people can drill holes in the bottom of your happy pool, but the majority of the holes were done by you, right? I'm, I'm sorry, are we being quiet today? <laughs> I, I couldn't hear you. I'll help you. Most of the holes are done by your neighbor. You're great. It's the person <laughs> sitting next to you who is the problem. You feel better about this now? So, Thou shalt not. That's a whole bunch of don't drill holes 
in the little happy pool of your life or it will always leak and you will always lose. And just in case you didn't get the question, where are you drilling holes in your life? Where? Where? There's nothing helpful today. This isn't for entertainment. If you aren't going to get honest to God where you are drilling holes in your life and undoing the goodness of God and where you're losing and you don't know why, nothing's going to turn around. Where are you drilling holes in your life? Where are you saying that's no big deal? And God says, well, that's what it's doing. And just in case you think this is all Hold it, that's Old Testament. That is just, that's Old Testament. It doesn't apply in the New Testament. Just in case you think that's true, Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. Majority of it's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, during which he recalls a good bit of the Ten Commandments and the laws in the Old Testament, and he updates them to let us know, by the way, you think those, those things not only mattered, you were never supposed to just adjust to them on the outside and make yourself look better. You were supposed to be transformed at the heart level so you live better. This was supposed to be from the inside out. Those are not less, they're more. Now the power of God in you to transform you from the inside out. So thou shalt not murder, correct. Now I tell you, don't even be angry at someone and lose your temper and say murderous words because when you kill them on the inside with your own heart, you've already broken the intent of the law. You're not loving others, which means you can't love God. If you want to live a transformed life, the first four of the Ten Commandments really summarize loving God and the next six, love others. So Jesus updated it. He didn't toss it out. And just in case you think this is all for the nation of Israel and doesn't apply to the church, Peter, the apostle, wrote in 1 Peter, now to the church, he writes, to you, but you are a chosen generation, a royal, what? Priesthood, a what? Holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hang on. Peter hearkens back to Exodus 19 and now takes what's applied to the nation of Israel and he applies it to us. We, the church, are God's chosen people. We are now the royal priesthood. We are now the holy nation, God's special people. Welcome to the kingdom of God. See, way back here, we got Moses with a bush on fire. Then we got the nation of Israel with a mountain on fire. Then we get the church birthing with the Holy Spirit descending and tongues on fire and now the whole church is supposed to live on fire for Jesus we are holy people who serve a holy God that was better than your response that was way better than your response that's what we've been called to now what do we do with that okay so we get done so what we're gonna do is go beat each other up because who's winning this because Israel said to, to God yes we'll do this and then they didn't Anyone ever say, yes, God, I'll fully follow, and then didn't? Anyone? Yep, yep. Let, let, let me make it easier. Has anybody ever lied? Wherever you are, if, if you're a toast at home, if you're, if you're online community, if you're one of the campuses, lie. this is for everybody. Has anyone ever lied? I'll put my hand up. I have. Anyone else? Keep your hand up. Keep your hands up if you've lied. Look around. Look at the people who are not. They just did. <laughs> so we're all in this together. Now, listen, how can you be holy when you're not? 
Oh, God, I will. Then I don't. I want to do the right thing. Don't do the right thing. You think you're all alone in this. You're not. Everybody raised their hand. We're all in the battle. So how do you do the holy thing when we're not holy, really? I love the way my prof and I went to Israel with him and I, I, when he was teaching. I loved one of his statements. I never forgot it. You did not break the Ten Commandments. They break you. And that was unsettling for me. I think, oh, how casual. Oh, you know what? I broke one of the Ten Commandments. No, you didn't. You didn't break it. It's a truth. It's just that it breaks you when you don't walk in it. It's holes in your life and your happy little pool. You're the one losing ground. You're the one losing in life. You don't break his commands. They break you. And he lovingly delivers them so that you might become whole and holy. And how do you do that when we're not? Well, I'm glad you've asked because I have an answer here. And if you've never heard this before, what I'm about to do, this is such a breakthrough. I'm going to do it way too fast. You have to go back and re-listen to the teaching. But I want to give you four statements that help you understand, the, if you will, the progression of how God made it possible for us to be holy. Here's the first. And you might need to write this stuff down. We are called to be holy. We are what, everybody? Called. Say it with me. Join me. We are what? Called to be holy. That means this. Our calling is to be holy. And, and so I just want, I, I only have time to a scripture in there to give you context. But First Peter, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God's called us to be holy. Everybody got it? So, the, so listen, because God's called us to be holy, God does not drop the standard. I wrote this way in my notes for you because I want to help us hear something. God does not lower a standard of holy. He brings us up to his holiness. Did you get it? God does not lower his standard of holy. He brings us up to his holiness. Listen, because we can't be holy, because we can't seem to live it out on our own, but we're called. So we're called to this, but we live like this. We're like, well, you know what? The only way I can do it is by changing the standard and bringing it down to where I live. Listen, the, the evidence of the love of God is not that he accepts you as you are and supports you in your sin. It's that he came down to where you are in your sin and brought you up to where he is. That's who he is. That's what he's done. That's the love of God. Part of what's broke in our country is we have a new Christianity that says if God loves you, he will accept you in your sin. That is not true. God loves you so much he won't accept you in your sin, but he will bring you up to his holiness. That is the power of the gospel. Hence, the second point. We are made holy. So we're called to be holy, but we can't do it. So what does God do? He makes us holy. We are made holy. So I've kind of addressed that. And by that, Hebrews 10, 10, God's will, we have been what? Made holy. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Or look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is what? In Christ. Then the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. What does this mean? Well, it means you and I can't be holy. And God, who is holy, came down to us. And Jesus, who lived a perfect life. Maybe sometimes, sometimes cheesy and hokey works. I'm, I'm just going to go stay right over here with this. 
God, who is holy and perfect, God the Son came down to earth, embodied human flesh, and Jesus never sinned, never drilled a hole in the bottom of his happy pool. <laughs> and because he was perfect, his sacrifice on the cross makes it possible for his death to cover our sin debt. When you believe on him and receive him, you are forgiven and you become a follower. And then you are now in Christ. You are what? In Christ. And you in Christ. And now what happens in your life? I know it's hokey, but come on. You get that. You see that you are now in Christ. And he has taken a life of holes and made you holy so that you can have a whole life. Yes, that's hokey, but it's all at the same time awesome that God would do that for us. So we are made holy. Now look at the third. Now that we've been made holy, we strive to live holy. We what? Strive to live holy. Look at Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we strive to be holy. So we're called to be holy, but we can't make it. Then in Christ, we are made holy. So he covers our sin, forgives us, and makes us holy in him. But now we're still on earth and you got to live holy. And that's not easy either. So you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, but you are in the striving, in the working at it. Listen, we live in a world who is accepted unholy, and we are striving to be holy by the one who made us holy, and that's going to be hard. Well, it's just so hard to be a Christian. Of course it is. The whole world's accepted unholy. It's the easiest thing to do. It's downhill. Holy's uphill. But then downhill is where all the holes are, and all the losses, and all the sorrow, and all the mess. All the good stuff's uphill. So now you strive to be holy. You don't do it on your own. You have the power of Christ in you. But what if you do sin as a Christian? And we do. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. John writes, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate to the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the propitiation. It's a legal term. He's an advocate. This is the one who goes to the Father on our behalf. You know what this means? This means as Christians, we quit calling sin non-sin. Don't do that. When you sin, don't make it easier on yourself by saying, well, that wasn't really a sin. Just say you feel bad. I don't want to feel guilty. Just go, quit doing that. It's a sin. Call it a sin. Look, quit calling it non-sin when it's sin, and then be quick to confess it. Just in the immediate moment, oh, I shouldn't have thought that, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? And he'll say, of course I will. And move on. You're striving to be holy. Here's what we can't do. Let's go back to something fun. Bulldogs beat Alabama. Sorry, just had to have a moment. It's still fun. I'm sorry, Alabama. It's still fun. Now, when our quarterback, Stetson, when he, his goal was, listen, his goal was to have a perfect game. True? Wasn't that? Didn't he go into that game to have a perfect game? Did he have a perfect game? No. Did he fumble the ball? Yes. When he fumbled the ball, did he hate it? Yes. Did he feel bad? Yes. Was he striving to fumble the ball? No. Can you imagine having him come off the field after he fumbles the ball, Alabama gets the ball, and somebody interviews him? How's it going? Oh, it's awesome. Man, what about that fumble? I don't care. Fumbles are fine with me. Like, can you imagine that statement? No, you can't. 
No, you can't. Look, and that statement can't be in the church. Fumbles are fine. That's not, the church isn't, you, fumbles are fine. The church is, I understand, I fumble too. Thank God he forgives us. Now let's get back in the game and be holy as he is holy. Get back on mission. Don't live like that. That's what's transforming in the church. We strive to be holy. So we're called to be holy. We're made holy. We strive to be holy. And here's the really good news. Number four, final statement. We are forever holy in heaven. Thank God a day's coming when we aren't fighting this any longer. Look at scripture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more, a whole bunch of no mores, death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We won't have any more temptation or any more sin thing God we'll we will be whole and holy in heaven amen that's a good deal that's a good deal Woo! this is fun so what do you do with all that get back on mission A whole bunch of people before the pandemic who were on mission have not gotten back on mission for the kingdom. Get back on mission. Love God, love people. That's what the Spirit of God is whispering to you. And that includes many things. That, that includes this Easter. We're going to have Holy Week prayer, first time in the history of the church we just felt prompted. And starting Sunday night, the 10th, that's only three weeks away, seven days before Easter, Palm Sunday. And that night, we're going to gather and we're going to walk through Holy Week, the events of Holy Week, all the way to Easter. Everybody should attend one, I'm sure. But maybe you should ask God, how many should, do I need to attend? What does it mean for me to attend to you? The mountains shake. I come into the presence and worship the great I am. What does that mean? How often do you need to be invested? It means inviting people Easter, for Easter, loving God and loving others. Let me, just, let me just show you the power of an invite. When Easter comes and it's an open door to inviting people, I, 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 we're going to share the story this Easter of God transforming a, a couple, Devin and Shannon. But, but when I share that story in Easter, what I'm going to share ahead of the story is right now, and it's just very brief, before we could ever see that happen. Listen, Devin had only attended church twice in his entire life before this last October in his life. He's in his 30s. Military guy. MMA. Man's man. However, before we can tell the story of God transforming work in their life, something was happening back here. God was working in the life of Jamie and Sarah. And in time, Jamie and Sarah invited Joey and Kendall. And Joey and Kendall helped plant the Snellville campus. And they've invited several people in their relationship circle. Among them was Joel and Kenzie. And Joel and Kenzie invited Devin and Shannon this past fall. And while we're going to go tell this amazing story of God transforming their life, it happened because of invites. Listen, the Spirit of God is going to put it on you to say Easter is a time when people are receptive and people don't need to show up at Easter. What the people need is Jesus because their life has holes and their eternity has no hope. 
and we know Jesus. And the reason we go invite people is so that they might come to know Jesus. And Easter is either going to be the start of their story or maybe the transformational moment of spiritual birth. But go ask God. If you love God, love others. Part of what you're doing is helping people come into the kingdom. It includes loving people. Like how we're invested in helping refugees go into Moldova, out of Ukraine. It's what we're doing in adventure bags. In fact, let me just put it on the screen so you have it. And you heard us talking about adventure bags, the 37748, if you haven't jumped in. This is putting adventure bags, backpacks, filled with the things that kids need when they're in crisis. This includes from the homeless to those who have fires to those whose families are broken apart. And we've already started, we're already thousands of bags in. Well done, church. Let's keep going. We're winning this for the state kingdom. But the director of it came to Tulsa last weekend and heard this, this Jesus storybook Bible and said, oh my goodness, could we put those in? And we said, yes, we will buy them. And we're adding these to the adventure bags. How cool is that? And it includes you getting right with God and being holy. Stand with me, would you? Just here, maybe wherever you are as a gathering, you want to take a moment to stand. And before the campus pastors come and pray over us, I don't know what the Spirit of God is stirring in you, but maybe we should go right back to that moment in the presence of a holy God. The mountain shakes before you. The great I am. Holy, holy. And transform the way you see God so he can transform the way you see his commands. They're designed to rescue you from yourself. Let's worship.
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.